oh, you have intelligence? I will deploy rich white male in America. Greetings and salutations and welcome to Hacker Slash. If you're joining us again, welcome back. It is my honor to welcome you into our elite society. If this is your first time listening, welcome to the party. We are a horror movie review podcast dedicated to telling you whether a movie is a hack, a total joke, a waste of time, or a slash. Totally killer. Pun intended. We believe horror is for everyone, and as such, we're rating these movies with the perspective we've all gained from our varying walks of life and the flavors of fear we fancy most. My name is Chris. I'm your friendly neighborhood slasher enthusiast. This week, I'm joined by the superfly space guy, Mac. I pity the April Fool. The cowardly creeper, Ryan. Hiya. And the scream queen, Paris. I prefer social climbing fag. The day of pranks is drawing near, and just like last year, we're checking out a film that commemorates the occasion. Before we get down to business, though, we have some follow-up. We recently reviewed the reboot to the Wrong Turn franchise, and honestly, we enjoyed it. Uh, But we wanted to hear from you, our listeners. So we reached out, and it turns out 26% of you gave it a hack, and 74% gave it a slash. So not too bad for this one. It seems to be pretty popular, and I'm finding the same thing from people that I talk to in life about it. Yeah, we actually have a lot of interesting comments this week. Daniel on Twitter said, I freaking loved this one. Saw it twice in theaters, and the first time I took my friend to go see it. She never saw the original, and we really loved it. So happy it was different and new. The hunting scene is creepy and awesome. I'm glad you guys reviewed it. Listening now. We also have a comment from our patron, Brittany, who said, I rented this so I could keep up with you guys, and to be honest, I want my money back. Far too cringy and on the nose. I could have done without the entire storyline with Jen's father. He was laughable. As were many moments in this movie. I did love the cave full of the eyeless victims, though. I wanted more of that. Truly creepy and unsettling. Overall, a handful of cool kills, but bad, bad, bad. It's a hack. Let me just say, if this made you want your money back for renting a horrible movie, don't ever start a podcast reviewing movies. (laughs) (laughs) Can I also add that I wanted Jen's father to, like, in the end, turn out to be some, like, crazy Rambo-style guy and take the entire group out? And I was so disappointed when he did do that. Yeah, anything from that character would have been better than what he gave us. We also have a couple comments from our friends on Instagram. G that's sharp said, no inbred cannibals, no slash. The references cut deep too. Should have had a different name. And that was a bit of a common theme. A lot of people were expecting this to be very much the wrong turn that they knew. And some of them were very upset that they didn't get that. And that's actually pretty understandable. We were actually fortunate enough to engage with one of the actors in this movie, Vardan Aurora. He played Gary, but we started talking to him about like queer representation and horror. Uh, he said, it's been great to see a lot of queer horror fans and their reactions. A lot of people have complained about how the queer characters weren't handled well, and the representation politics have been insane to follow from both sides. It's all good, though, for me. It's a win. Getting cast in the project and working on it felt so surreal, plus the honor of being first kill in a horror movie. You know, I haven't considered that that might be an honor, but I guess it is. There's first and last. Everything in the middle doesn't really matter. Yeah, Vardan is canonically the Drew Barrymore of the Wrong Turn reboot. I mean, you did say he is the hottest. Yeah, truly. Everyone in that movie was hot, but he reigned supreme. In the running for Daddy of the Year, so let's see it. We also wanted to thank one of our newest patrons, Kyle M. Kyle, welcome to the family. We're so happy to have your support, and we hope to be hearing from you soon on our Hacker Slash Hotline. And that is our follow-up. Now, around this time last year, we broke down a 1986 slasher in which a group of college friends vacationing on an island estate were stalked by an unknown assailant on the 1st of April. 
22 years later, the Butcher Brothers, Michael Altieri and Phil Flores, had the opportunity to bring the film back to life for a modern audience. Instead of a straight-up remake, though, the pair opted to take comedic inspiration from the original while writing a different story with fresh characters and a new approach to the holiday. This film, like so many other slashers, follows a group of friends in the aftermath of a prank gone wrong. A prank that resulted in an accidental death. One year later, someone's out for revenge. No, it's not I Know What You Did Last Summer. This week, we're talking about the 2008 direct-to-video version of April Fool's Day. Who's seen this one? Not me. I saw the original and I had no idea until I saw it on the calendar that somebody chose to make another movie under this name. Yep, I was fortunate enough to make it an entire 27 years before ever watching an April Fool's Day related film. And uh, unfortunately, that run has come to an end. Yeah, I'm with Mac on this one. I watched the original for the podcast, but didn't know it was remade. And here we are. See, I struggled to remember if I had seen this uh, because initially, like you, I think of April Fool's Day. I think of the original that we covered here on the show. And my gut reaction was no. And then when watching this, I uh, I saw Scout Taylor Compton in her debutante dress, and I remembered the feeling of seeing her in this. And I have this really vivid memory of disappointment in her and a really sad realization that it wasn't just disappointment from her portrayal of Lori in the Halloween remake. It was like this feeling of, oh shit, she got me twice. <laughs> now, I know I have seen this, but beyond that, I couldn't remember a damn thing about this movie. And while I tried to keep an open mind, I, I didn't expect it to be quite funny enough to please me the way the original did. What were you folks expecting? Ooh, I expected some hot garbage because most holiday-related horror films are not very good. And April Fool's Day, I would say, is maybe the worst excuse of a holiday in real life. So I wasn't expecting much from this movie, that's for sure. That's where you and I are different, Ryan. I saw that this was from 2008, and I was optimistic. I literally wrote, honestly, if it's a 2008 remake, I'ma probably slash it. Hopefully a boob, high gore, fun question mark? Fun question mark. Truly the question for 2008. <laughs> Hopefully a boob. You did not get worn out on Wicker Man, I see. <laughs> I did not have high expectations because of the year. Anything from that era, I just immediately think of all the horrible remakes and reboots that we've seen already. And I just like always think like maybe somebody made a really good one, but most likely it's going to be trash. So yeah, I had some pretty low expectations. Ooh, yeah. Uh, I feel you on the whole era thing. I've got some things to say about that later. Now, I, I believe I've made this comparison on the show before, but I felt like yeah, I felt a lot like you do when you're texting someone and you know something is funny, but it's not funny enough to actually make you laugh out loud, but you type LOL anyway. And there were small character nods to the original that I enjoyed, but ultimately it was that. It was me acknowledging like this would be a moment that people probably maybe find funny, uh, but it's not doing anything for me. There's like a moment or two that made me laugh, and the jury's still out on whether or not it was supposed to make me laugh, but this this movie was intentionally made with very offbeat humor, and I think that's just not for me. I think I like my uh, humor very rhythmic and predictable, as boring as that sounds. I didn't even know it was supposed to be funny, so maybe that's uh, that's saying something. While watching it, I didn't feel that there was humor. I felt like there was like in-universe attempts at humor between characters, but I didn't know there was supposed to be like actual comedy going on. So I'm sorry to the filmmakers, but it didn't click with me. I, I did feel while watching it that I was watching a soap opera produced by WB. 
that's kind of the feel I got for this movie. Like the drama between the characters was very days of our lives, very general hospital, very Grey's Anatomy circa season one and two. Yeah. It wasn't until about halfway through the movie that I was like, are they trying to be funny? Um, a couple moments got me to laugh, but overall I was mostly just enamored with the nostalgia of 2008's fashion. That's the year I graduated. That's the year I went to prom. So specifically the opening scene really had me taken back with all those like bargain bin Boscov's gowns. But ultimately this movie was kind of confusing. Like the tone was confusing. Yeah, I would say, uh, I don't know if like confused is the word I would use to describe what I felt, but I know where you're coming from. It was like unengaging or something. I don't know. My feelings were just, this is uh, some 2008 buffoonery. And listen, if we're talking about rich people and all the ways they treat people horribly, I'd like to talk about all the rest of their interesting habits and lifestyle choices. Because you know that yeah, we if we're gonna dig in and and be funny about the the way rich people are, I want to go harder than this movie went because all this movie had was people saying rude things to you know someone in the kitchen, and I'm just saying let's go all the way, you know, like you guys are talking about drugs and stuff. I want to I want to go deep, but we didn't go deep. It's very surface level. I don't know. I felt like I knew every move this movie was gonna make before it happened, and I was pretty much right. So. Uh, I felt like I deserved some money for writing the script later in life. You know, 15 <laughs> years later, I wrote it. You know, that, that reminds me of what surprised me in this movie is the fact that we didn't have surprises. Like it was pretty predictable because this was the era that M. Night Shyamalan was really cool in. Like everyone still thought like there was always going to be a great twist at the end of his film in the 2000s. And they didn't really deliver. That really surprised me because watching the original April Fool's, I was caught off guard by the ending. Um, and so I was expecting there to be some kind of shocking twist or maybe in the middle or maybe something. And it really felt predictable. And that, I guess, both surprised me and disappointed me. Yep. I'll have to agree with that. I mean, it, it, it is disappointing the way this movie goes. What's not disappointing is something Paris talked about is, uh, looking at all these people during this movie and all the interesting things that they're wearing and, uh, their fancy old cars that are, new cars to them. And they, right now, if you drove up in that Mercedes, I'd be like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> so that's a, that was a, a surprising excitement that I found in this movie that I was searching for. I honestly didn't know if this was a remake or not. Um, so the opening scene, I was like, okay, bunch of teens coming to an event. I see we're kind of skipping ahead. We're no longer doing a boat thing like the original. Um, but then it veered way off and was like, totally not a remake at all. And I was like, okay, that's a surprise. Um, and also a bit of a disappointment. Um, watching this, I was kind of like, was the original April Fool's Day kind of good? And that is an answer I still don't have. Well, Alexis and I thought it was. Uh, we both are the only ones that slashed that movie, but it's fine. You're right. So much of this movie is predictable. Uh, it, it is surprising how much of a departure they took, but it's one that I think makes sense for what the early 2000s was doing. And if you were not doing shot for shot, you're doing something else. And uh, I'm, I'm pleased with the intention they had. But one thing I wasn't pleased with, and in fact was largely disappointed by, was how dated this movie was. It feels extremely dated, not just in fashion, uh, not just in, in the approach to it's how it executes alleged scares and things like that. But it, it was dated in what I felt was mostly the dialogue. It's like a trip back in time to the very worst of like commonplace language. And it makes just about every single one of the characters in this entirely unlikable. 
I also feel like it was kind of dated for its time. I mean, obviously it's hard to say, but like, I don't relate to this. The 2008 version of me also doesn't agree and relate to anything in this movie and just feels like it's like, it's like a theoretical version of humans and not a real version of them. Well, I mean, look, I was still hearing a lot of this stuff in 2008 just from people who weren't offended by it or like who weren't. Uh, victimized by it right in 2008 things were starting to turn around right like progress was starting to be made in a, in a more meaningful way this is around the time that i think people started feeling a little bit cringy about it but it was still largely terrifying and i think that was a really shitty feeling and there's also a bit in this movie where it's revealed a character has a history of sexual misconduct and when it's said that a ton of women have come forward someone waves it off as they're probably riding the media train. Yeah. And like, I'm not going to soapbox right now. I promise. But the whole approach to it was just a mishandled attempt at injecting something serious and real in a movie that's neither serious nor real. The movie itself isn't funny enough to be ironic or for it to feel like it's this way of saying, hey, isn't this some bullshit? We should really fix this and change the narrative here. It's just like this feeling of, of course. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's a sad reflection of where we were. And it's actually a big reason of why we are where we are now. Yeah, there's plenty of terms in this movie that would trigger the modern mind and really kind of make you wonder, did we ever talk like this to each other? And if so, can I go back in time and slap the people that I knew? Because it's just when I was, you know, this age, because I was I was in my early 20s in 2008. So I was close to the probably the actors in the film, maybe a little bit older. I think some of them are pretty young. And I just watching it felt like their dad. I just wanted to put soap in their mouths because it was just so bad. Yeah, I agree with you guys. And that's the scariest part of this movie. The humans. That's it. literally it. Nothing else. The 2008 culture of it all is the only fear. Yes. And the low rise jeans. <laughs> and the flattest hair I've ever seen. Yes. You know, I'm not surprised, though, because I, I'm looking up some 2008 horror films and we have things like The Happening. And this is, I feel like, right when... Shyamalan got really not cool was like this movie solidified that that we're done he's been he's been canceled using modern terms the ruins which okay uh the strangers amazing came out in 2008 so that's maybe a plus in the Mm -hmm. right direction but other movies that came out that year are not even things that you'd even care about um maybe like midnight me train if if you just want the fun of it i guess uh prom night the remake came out in 2008 so i think that really speaks to that year and how bad horror pretty much was and it really wasn't a scary time like horror movies were just another form of blockbuster it felt like but even not really blockbuster because this movie was released uh, straight to dvd so it wasn't a good year for horror and it wasn't a good year for uh, for terror and scariness to be fair also not a good year for many other things in the world in 2008 are bad horror movies the reason the stock market crashed who knows <laughs> maybe but i will say that for all the negatives i've had so far this movie does a lot of really little microscopic things well. Specifically, I enjoyed the bits they subtly took from the original. Things like uh, one of the characters always walking around with the camera. The music is uh, is an interesting take. It's an interesting reminder. It doesn't have the same spirit, but it does take the spirit and, and twist it to make it a little bit darker. And I don't think it executes that well, right? I, I think their intention is a nice one, but... Eh. I think they get at least a few points for deviating from the blueprint. 
So do you think it's more original than it is scary? No, I'm just being very generous right now in complimenting <laughs> that it has made some efforts. It's not scary at all, which I think you've all covered sufficiently well, but it is certainly not original. I got to give it credit for not being a direct remake, though, because while it was surprising and perhaps disappointing for Paris that it wasn't the original storyline, um, I was caught off guard by the fact that this was not just, hey, we took the storyline and made it in 2008, like you know, format. So I'll give them, I'll give him credit for changing things up at least. Yeah. So I'm coming from the side of someone who didn't see the original and therefore I'm, I can't compare it to that, but this movie isn't, I mean, not even a single part of it feels original, especially in the context of the two thousands and, uh, you know, a murder mystery type of movies. I mean, I feel like I've seen a billion of these where a group of people is trying to figure out who's knocking them off one by one. Uh, so it gets, negative originality points from me if i can give negative i will also throw in a couple negative originality points for this ryan uh this was very much i know what you did last summer um almost like play for play to be honest uh and as somebody who did see the original it wasn't great but it was original unlike this movie this really there's nothing in this that i haven't seen it felt like a really flat gossip girl yeah, this this gets no originality points for me, Chris. That was really great how you were able to find something nice to say about the originality of this movie. I'm impressed. <laughs> One of the better things about this movie, though, is the way it attempts to do something with the ending. I don't know that I'm pleased with the takeaway of the story. That is actually a misleading thing to say. I know I am not pleased with the takeaway from the story. It's a little complicated. But the ending may have been the best part of the whole movie for me with the exception of two elements of it i think it's satisfying for fans of the original who wanted this uh, surprising-ish moment and i think it does enough different to distinguish itself in its tone so it gets close to being shocking and i'm a fan except for the message we're left with which i will unpack in the second half the ending was rough. I'm not going to lie. I think other soap operas would probably be disappointed in the ending as I was. Cause I mean, it really is a soap opera ending. I feel like we should have had an evil twin. I feel like maybe somebody should have been in a coma and then come out of the coma and revealed themselves to be their own lover or something. I don't know, but <laughs> it, it just for a soap opera movie, it didn't have the juiciest of soap opera endings. It just, it felt a little, it felt a little played out. I think the surprise that you're mentioning at the end of it, I didn't find surprising. Maybe that's, probably why I'm, I'm thinking about it poorly, which is maybe a, a bit unfair, but I feel like the ending fit the rest of the movie in that it felt, it felt kind of copied, felt kind of stale, felt kind of already been used. I think we just went down such a path to get to the ending that once you're there and you're going through it, you're just like, okay, I guess. And then it kind of makes you say, okay, I guess like three or four times. And then, and then you're just like, well, what what did this movie matter to my life? I'm just going to move on and pretend I never watched it. That's basically what I was left with the ending. And I will say that the ending is not the worst part, but it is certainly not my favorite part of this movie. Interesting. Ryan, I will tell you, the original had pretty much the same ending, plus a bed and breakfast. <laughs> nice. But yeah, I'm with Chris, though. The ending of this movie was actually my favorite part, and... I think there's a specific element that you can all probably infer that I'm talking about that I wanted more of. I wanted the the impact of the ending to be not the best part of the movie. I wanted more of that throughout. 
I think I'm picking up what you're putting down, Paris. Uh, and the unfortunate part is that as nice as it would have been to have it, you didn't get it. So now we have to see what that translates to in scoring. Now take some time to dig deep into your souls. Think about what you might rate this movie. But before we do, Ryan, you have uh, some work cut out for you in Alexis's absence. It's her body count. Hey, at least it's not a zombie movie this time. <laughs> That's true. You do pick up extra work on the hard days. So this week we have eight deaths on screen and several of them have an asterisk, but I don't want to ruin it by sharing how many. Nice. But what about the animal report? Yeah, well, we have a really good animal report this week. There's a dog that is very important. They talk about him a lot. And then all of a sudden he just disappears and nobody else cares about him and he, he no longer exists. But he didn't die. He's good. I just don't know. He went to a shelter or something. I don't know. <laughs> they made a big deal and then he just was not important. But he didn't die. Well, hot diggity dog. At least we are confident he's safe somewhere out there in the ether. But the time has come. I'm so sorry to do this to you. You now have to give your ratings. April Fool's Day, 2008. Direct a video. Inspired by the original, but doing its own thing for a quote-unquote modern audience, was it a hacker slash? I know everything I've said has seemed kind of negative, but this is actually a hardcore slash. <laughs> April Fool's, just kidding. It's a major hack. <laughs> yeah. yeah, this movie was the definition of waste of time because I even had a hard time watching it without just doing something else at the same time. And I know we have to do that sometimes because we lead busy lives and squeezing in a movie means we're going to multitask. I think when I was watching this, I was on my day off and I didn't actually have to do something and I found something else to do while watching it because it was that hard to pay attention. The characters are insufferable. The storyline is so played out, it hurts. The I don't even know what you would call the feeling of this movie, but to me, it's very old school WB before it became CW and that's just not like my vibe at all. The, the kills were... You know, they they did them. They tried to do them on screen and everything. So that's something that happened. Uh, but overall, I just felt really not enthusiastic about it. And I was hoping it was going to be kind of fun because the original was kind of fun. I mean, it wasn't necessarily the world's best movie, but it was a lot more fun than this. And I feel like the problem with this this movie is that people aren't having fun. They're just mean. And in the end, is that a fun April Fool's Day if if nobody's enjoying themselves? So yeah, it's a hack. Yeah, on April Fool's Day, definitely only the the people getting the jokes played on them should not be having fun. Everyone else should be having fun, not being mean. I think I agree with most of the things that you just said, Mac, especially the part where you said that everyone is insufferable, because that is the perfect word to describe this. I fortunately had something else to do while I was watching this movie, and it was very productive, and I was very thankful. Um, this being on the background was was not exciting. I don't know. This is actually the kind of movie that really doesn't elicit like a ton of like passionate hate or love in my heart. Like, I'm not like pissed that we watched this. This is certainly not one of the worst movies I've ever had to watch uh, to review for this lovely podcast that we do here. But it just like doesn't make me feel anything. I feel like I've seen it or something so similar. I think the biggest thing for me is I relate to people in this movie, a negative percentage, like the, the rich snobby vibes are so far from anything I've ever felt in life that I just can't even, I, I, I would never even stay in the room with somebody who acted like a single one of these people. My brain was hardly on when I watched this, and not in a chill way, but in like a miserable way. So obviously, it's a hack. I feel that. I made the mistake of giving this movie my full attention from top to bottom, and that was rough. Uh, it was 
like the the biggest takeaway for me is that this movie is flat. It didn't build to anything. It was sort of kind of all over the place. It was loose. And it, that kind of made the ending not as good as it could have been. I truly had a lot of fun playing the game, who is that girl? What And what is she doing in that outfit? Which is something I saw on the headline of a newspaper that was shown. But ultimately, like this movie was just bland. And I thought about it. I was like, you know, Twilight came out in 2008. Like, what's this movie's excuse? Like, yeah, Twilight had a budget, but it also had at least a vision, which is something I feel like this movie lacked. Um, it also just had like a bad script. And while the characters may have also been insufferable, I feel like the actors didn't do them any favors. Oh, several, many of these actors, I was like, please don't be in anything else I have to see, or at least like get better, which is maybe hateful for me to say, but this movie was hateful for me to watch. (laughs) So this is going to be very much a hack for me. Not the worst movie we've ever seen, but maybe one of the most bland. Paris, would you like to know what the difference is between Twilight and April Fool's Day that went straight to video? Money. Only about $32 million, because this movie still <laughs> took $5 million to make, which is outrageous. Where did the money go? Your reminder that movie sets are like corporations. The money just disappears. <laughs> I-, I can certainly agree with a lot of your sentiments. Uh, I saw this movie in 2008, and clearly, because I didn't remember it, I found it largely forgettable. I was 18 years old, finishing high school, pre- you know, fresh out of the closet, preparing to leave home for the first time, super naive. Been through some stuff, but like life wasn't too bad, you know? So at that point in my life, my biggest issue with this movie was that Scout Taylor Compton was in it and I didn't like her. This movie cemented as me just not liking her. 13 years now have passed since then. And if you're catching this episode the day it publishes, you're listening to it 13 years in one day after it was released in the United States. Just let that sink in. Think about the passage of time. This movie has some good bits in it. Every character is a caricature. Some good, some bad. There's a lot of clever work with how the strands of the original's DNA were like used in this remake. The problem is there isn't enough of that good to go around for me. The problem is it's it's not 2008 now, and I'm not 13 years younger, blissfully unburdened by events in my life that happened just even two years after watching this movie. This movie doesn't stick to the landing, and it also doesn't respect anything it tries to do along the way. It doesn't have the scares. It barely has a few laughs. Uh, the kills are pretty meh, with the exception of one or two. It's just, at its core, a regurgitation of every manipulative story we see of people in power who walk through the world with no consequence. And maybe if it were actually funny, I wouldn't take it so seriously, but it's not funny. So it's 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 just so poorly constructed, it's getting a hack. I liked Leprechaun 2 better than this movie. Now that's... Bold. I don't know that I agree with that. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure about that. But I respect it. Yes. <laughs> Leprechaun 2 had its problems, but even it was less offensive to me than this movie. And really, when it comes down to it, April Fool's Day from 2008 is a universal hack. So really, I guess, joke's on us. Ain't it? As we all somberly nod. If you happen to own one of the DVDs this was released on... You decide what to do with it now. Uh, but if you were mildly curious about this movie, it's available to rent. I don't think we'd advise you to spend your money that way. Rather than renting this movie, you could subscribe to our Patreon and listen to our interesting conversations for B-sides that have nothing to do with this movie. That would be better. Literally that. Do that. <laughs> Make your decision about what you want to do with watching this movie or not. But regardless of whether you do, join us in the second half so we can unpack the trash that is April Fool's Day. We'll see you in a bit.
Marty McDouche here, folks. You love playing with toy guns as kids, but aren't real guns just too darn messy to play with? All the blood, murder investigations, lifelong guilt. Who has time for that? If you really want to up the fun, get yourself the squid bib. This comfortable, lightweight felt bib keeps the food off your shirt and makes the fake blood squirt. Use it with our patent-pending squib remote, and the fun just explodes. You could keep playing with foam darts, but those are as fun as stinky farts. Get yourself a squib bib today and let the fun start popping. Welcome back, folks. You are now entering the spoiler zone for the 2008 version of April Fool's Day, which has earned a universal hack and underperformed in comparison to its predecessor. Now, we have a lot to get to here, but before we get into the specifics of why we all dislike this movie so much, we have the matter of gore to attend to, and Alexis isn't around. So, Ryan, what's the gore score? Well, even though we have kind of a high body count, I mean, it's not astronomical, but like, is a pretty good number. Um, we, we don't have much gore. I would say for half of the movie, it's almost none. And then we get quite a bit towards the end, but it's like gore flavored stuff. It's not gore. Do you know what I mean? Like we get a lot of, um, fake blood, of course, uh, actually, actually fake blood, you know, in the movie, a lot of like things happening and then the camera moving off screen and stuff. And then of course, like we come up on like a bloody body like Wilford, but we don't see those kills. Um, so it's really not very much in the way of gore. And it's a little unfortunate. I think maybe that's a time where this movie could have had a little more success throughout the film if we got more of the feeling from the end and that, you know, that that uh, gun scene at the ending. If we could have had more of that throughout, I think it could have been a little bit more interesting and kept us all in a little bit more. Yeah, you never really expect a 2008 remake of an old-ass movie to have less gore, but this one somehow managed. That's so true. It almost felt like it was going to be like a, this is a PG-13 horror movie, you know? It had that vibe like most of the way through. Made for TV. Or or DVD. (laughs) Sadly, unrated is uh, something that can be classified as. Yeah, it's just unrated because they were too lazy to do it, not because it's so good that they didn't want to put a rating on it, you know? Nobody cared to rate it. There was like a $10 payment to file the uh, paperwork, and they were like, nah, nah, (laughs) we don't have that kind of budget. We've already gotten through the $5 million. I'm not paying out of pocket for this. (laughs) Exactly. I will say, though, that the two kills we actually get are semi-satisfying. The only real, you know, kills. The other kills that were fake kills don't really count in my book, but... My favorite, of course, is going to be the ending kill, but I do heavily appreciate the the first real kill of the movie as well, because it's like kind of surreal for that character and, and drug induced and falling over and hitting the ground and there's actually blood underneath their head. I was I was under the assumption this was going to be a fake kill and this was the whole prank of the movie was that this person didn't die and I feel dumb for thinking that because it's one of two actual real kills. Uh, but the whole like build up to it where they're like, gotcha, we roofied you. And somehow that is funny in 2008. I don't get it. But the whole like, you know, toppling over the, the balcony thing, like was a pretty effective way. So that was uh, ending somebody. So I'm, I'm going to give that one actual the main credit because of the two that are real. I think it's probably undervalued because it's not as like, you know, it's not as gruesome as getting shot in the head and your like scalp flies off. Yeah, that fall off the balcony or honestly it was a tumble it was very intense and there were some i'm I'm not sure if it was the sound effects of her hitting the table i don't know what it was but i was like ah okay this is a little bit doing a little bit much and then we get a shot and she's just like her crumpled body like on the floor 
So my favorite kill is actually Blaine because it's like the first one after, of course we have the first really intense kill and then a series of, uh, kind of like disappearing bodies basically. And then we get to Blaine and it's just like, he's shot in the stomach on camera and you're just like, whoa. Cause you, you, you don't have that feeling all the way through the movie until then. And of course it ended up being fake and you know, he's got fake blood strapped to his chest, but I, thought that that was the point in the movie where I was like, man, this could be interesting and things could happen here. But then of course it was just 2008 and they were all just pretending. You know what's great about that kill? That's exactly when my fiance walks in, was not watching the movie with me, walks in and goes, oh, that was fake. <laughs> Had no idea what was going on in the film, just knew, nice. just instinctively knew. To be fair, aren't they all fake? Yeah, they pretty much are. And Ryan, I love that you said the word tumble because in my notes, I literally wrote Milan takes a tumble. I'm with Mac. I'm, I have a toss up between Desiree and Milan. Um, really the two pillars of this movie as far as characters go. I think I'm going to give it to Milan though, just because she looked really good in that like little nighty, like little lingerie undergarment moment. And then just like everything she went through was actually the closest thing to being scary in this movie. And then to just tumble right off the balcony, um, and onto that gorgeous platter of craft services. That was really unfortunate. It also reminded me very much of the kill from Valentine, where we have our girl shot in the chest with an arrow and then tumbling off the balcony and into some garbage. So I'm going to give it to Milan on this one. You love a tumbling blonde. I really do. Also, just a quick shout. When Milan took that dress off, I was like, man, I need to put more effort into things that I wear under really fancy dresses because she looks great. (laughs) She was ready. She was ready for anything. And I love that about her. Just like when you take off a dress, but you're like still fully clothed, (laughs) but in a cute way. I think the opposite. If you're wearing something really fancy, you should 100% wear Star Wars underpants underneath. (laughs) I'm cool with that too. I'll definitely agree. Milan and Desiree really hold the whole thing together. The one negative I have for Milan's death isn't even Milan or her death. It is Scout Taylor Compton's character, Torrance looking up at the balcony saying, what did you do? And that's when you know she's going to be the eh, killer. So it like ruins the surprise very, very early on. Not a fan of that. I'm not a fan of her overacting. It just spoiled the moment. And even her poor acting could not spoil the moment for me of Desiree being shot. It was a suddenness that I wouldn't say it's entirely shocking because, again, leading up to it, Torrance's character is like, oh, yeah, see? And... It's just in the seconds leading up to it, you obviously know it's going to happen. I thought maybe they'd either have Desiree committed or all take turns and like kill her the stranger's style, right? Like with the stabbing in the chair tied up, another 2008 movie. But for that gun to go off and to see the reactions afterwards, as shitty as Blaine, it proves to end up being the reaction and the surprise were some of the oh my gosh I can't believe I'm about to say this it's some of the better acting in the uh, in in the movie and that's actually my favorite scene and I only think I'm I'm only, I only think I'm giving it that much credit because it reminds me of the death of Brandon Lee are you all familiar with this no nope. no yeah it's, tr- it's pretty tragic you know Bruce Lee yes you know the movie The Crow no okay this is fun oh the 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 Crow is a whole mood you got to watch it. It's a great movie. So Bruce Lee's son, Brandon Lee, is the star in The Crow. And during production, he was killed accidentally with a gun that was supposed to be firing blanks. And the prop was mishandled. What? He was shot in the chest. The level of unprofessionalism. 
what a cursed family as far as like untimely deaths and such. I'll drop a link in the show notes if you haven't heard of Brandon Lee or the circumstances surrounding his death. But I, I think just keeping that in mind and then seeing the level of they they're trying to exhibit shock, it made that the most powerful death of the movie. And then they ruined it. I definitely agree, Chris. That was my favorite scene of the movie. Um, like I was saying before the spoiler break, I wished we had more of that vibe. Um, because it was, for me, pretty shocking to see. I think that they showed it. That's, I think that's the part that was shocking to me because obviously freaking Torrance and her overacting was really letting you know what was about to happen. She's like, see, it's a fake gun. Bang. But the fact that they showed it and the angle that they showed it at and like the way the blood kind of splattered on Blaine, I was like, oh shit, I guess Desiree is getting the last laugh because now y'all have to deal with this. It's a vicious cycle, really. We're trying to teach somebody a lesson for an accidental quote unquote kill. And then we learn a lesson for an accidental quote unquote kill. And I'm sure someone else will be accidentally killed next. Yeah. Every, every year there's a new April Fool's Day killer. You know, that's in the universe of this movie every year. It's been continuing from 1986 to 2008. And, uh, who knows if it'll keep going to, to current day. Yeah. The joke's on us, really. In 2009, it was one of the women that Blaine tried to hook up with, and she tries to murder him to get his trust. So they can go back to that same judge and have the estate transferred. Thanks. I hate it. (laughs) It's one big franchise of follow the money. I would like to take this moment to leave the realm of positivity. And instead of talking about my favorite scene, I'd like to talk about my least favorite scene. That's not normally how we do things here, but I'm going to just make my own podcast. The worst scene in this movie is the 10-minute news clip. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. So bad. It's so bad. It's so dramatic. I don't know why anyone thinks they need to put a news clip into a movie. At least, though, when you do it, let's let's do the thing that people do where they can sometimes get, like, uh, Chris Cuomo to actually do a scene, you know? Like, legitimate on set. But no. We just have, like, some random chick uh, and, and this horrible, like, you know, um, what's it like high school news set (laughs) and it's just so bad and I hated it. And it is like the cheapest excuse for a way to progress a story. (laughs) Just be like, Oh, here's this guy and what he's going to say about it. Oh, but let me tell you about this and this and this. And it's just like, cool. Thanks. You're just listing information for us. There's one correct way to do that. And that's having the news clip on a TV in the background of a bar with one of the main characters drinking a whiskey. Yes. And they have to be really haggard about it. Like, (sighs) Yeah, well, I could go on for that. I can go for that. Don't give me full screen news. I'm not watching the news here. I'm not watching 2008 news for sure. Honestly, the one good thing to come from that wretched news segment was Charles revealing that the title of his book was Lifestyles of the Rich and Deadly, which to me was so stupid that it circled back around to being funny. <laughs> yeah, that's like an investigation discovery title. Yeah. And then most importantly, he did not say anything during his segment except the title of his book and the release date. That's it. Gotta plug the book. (laughs) The one thing that I can appreciate from that, there's a ticker at the bottom that says generic Republican candidate beats generic Democratic candidate. Oh, see, I didn't see that. That is kind of funny. That's something we would do, right? <laughs> I also feel like that's something maybe they, they had a placeholder in there and they were like, no, nah, just just put it in. Just leave it there. That's fine. We don't need to put a name in there. I mean, Peter for sure is the generic Republican candidate. We can agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Lowering taxes and raising values. That feels like a very Republican platform. And I'm going to pick on him for a minute because I feel like the whole realization that he's a robot 
and doesn't actually have human emotion in the beginning of the film while they're doing their, like the recordings of all the friends. I actually found that part kind of funny, just picking on him, just being like, oh, he needs a teleprompter. And I found it humorous. So I'm going to give my favorite scene to that, even though it was all kind of bad. Um, that I actually found humorous because I found it to be real to life. I would say that the the opening scene of this movie, uh, from like a serious standpoint, is actually like one of my favorite uh, parts of this movie, I guess one of my favorite scenes, just, you know, you do get like a little bit, even though some of these characters are hateful, you get little bits of them and it's, and it's interesting. And then things go off the rails. Yeah, that's totally fair. And Mac, I would a hundred percent agree with you. That was one of the two times that I actually laughed out loud. It was just him trying to read this letter uh, that he wrote for congratulations and all that good stuff. Ryan, you mentioned that uh, the whole opening scene was a high point in this movie for you. My high point that was kind of like a question mark in terms of visuals, and this is one thing that I appreciated, just like generic Republican candidate beats generic Democratic candidate, the newspaper, the picture of Milan Hastings looks like Kesha, and that was a weird thing for me, right? It felt like every little prop in this movie had somebody having fun with it and it seemed like they were having more fun than a lot of people making the movie so that was a excellent prop work that's funny that you mentioned that chris because i totally thought milan looked exactly like ivanka trump in real life yes but that one specific picture i felt like it had kesha energy (laughs) i don't doubt that one bit well to go from that my favorite visual element is very simple and it's desiree as much as she is a flaming hot piece of garbage in this movie is it a lob? The asymmetrical bob here? The angled bob. Oh, oh my God. Man, it's just like, and and she spends this entire movie running in heels. Not the entire movie. <laughs> Not the entire movie, but a good portion of it. But, like the whole second half. And I just, I, you know, like if, if you're going to give me something horrible like this movie, at least give me something to look at. And at least we got that here. And it was just, I mean, the gas station look and she's just like... I, I I could just I know how gas stations are and the way she's dressed and supposedly the neighborhood that she's in and she just like steps out the car and is just like standing there and I'm like mm, I can feel this energy you don't care how you look but you look out of place and I'm here for it I'm right there with you Ryan uh, Desiree definitely stole the show early on with that red look obviously it was good enough to be on all of the promotional materials for the movie um but i'm gonna call her out because in the van scene where they're running in the parking garage she goes from wearing those like knee-high heeled boots to very visibly running away in a pair of uggs and then (gasps) right back into the boots when it's when it shows her full body again oh my god i did not notice that my boyfriend pointed out i had to rewind it because i was like yep those are uggs oh my god that's hilarious she was like i'm tired of running in these heels exactly yeah nor should she even be expected to just shoot her from the waist up and let the bitch wear a running shoe here's the problem with movies like this it's on me to decide if that was an intentional comical effort oh yeah or if it's just lazy editing and so like i don't want to have to make that decision i want it to be clear and usually it's not because y'all are usually not as funny as you think you are when you're making these movies and then i'm like oh they're just lazy they let her wear uggs yeah it was definitely not intentional it should have been more intentional they should have had her wear five different pairs of shoes 
during that entire oh, run sequence. Yeah, you got to go hard. That would have been so funny. <laughs> I'd <laughs> right? be so happy with that. It would have been kind of naked gun or airplane or something, but it, yeah. maybe it would have spiced things up a little bit. This makes me really want want to show you all a movie called Student Bodies, where it's just an early, what you can interpret as like an early scary movie. It's like from the 80s, but everything is just absurdly ridiculous every step of the way in a great way. That feels like a very student bodies move. I I could appreciate that. And I was expecting kind of more of that because setting up the van scene, you kind of see Desiree and Peter like doing this weird side to side with a van. Like they're not sure which direction they should move in. Oh my God. In a way that I found to be hilarious because it's literally a van. And as a human, you have so much more mobility and more options as far as movement inside a garage. Um, so when they were doing that and they were kind of extending it a little bit longer than made sense, I was like, okay, they're, they're trying to be funny here. And it actually made me laugh. But then we didn't get enough more of that for me to keep laughing. I have. A harder time figuring out things that I liked about this movie visually. I think like the cinematography, not a fan. The color grading was, oh, it was so dated that it hurt. The wardrobe gave me such bad flashbacks. And I think it brings me back to the thing I can actually appreciate. And that's how the opening scene in this somehow huge Carolina house actually feels like people that I knew in high school. Everything about it, the house itself, the guests, the way people acted, like just the pan through all the different guests like hanging out and how snooty they were and how the house was decorated. It reminded me so much of all these people I knew in Georgia because I moved to Georgia when I was 16 and that is a whole different world in the South. Like when you have money, it's a totally different ball game there and people act a very weird way. And I have a lot to say about the characters or maybe a little bit, I don't know, but that just, that scene just gave me those vibes of like, circa 2003 2004 maybe when i moved back to the states and this girl complained that her parents bought her a new honda but she wanted the new bmw z3 gross and she was so upset she was crying and it just that's these people but in real life and i experienced it no me gusta i'm truly so thankful that i am not friends with rich upper class white southerners because it just seems not great not great With that being said, before we get to quality of characters, I have a question, and this may be, I'm not sure if this is going to be a dumb question or not, but I'm okay with it. Was there a point in which you guys realized that these were fake kills? For me, once Peter got hit by the van and there was just like a slew of papers, and I was like, did he have papers? (laughs) I think he did have a briefcase, but it was just like, why are there papers flying? Yeah. At that moment, I was like, oh, these are not real kills. Did you guys have an aha moment? For me... It was this underlying hope that they would be fake kills because they looked shitty, right? Like gray Charles in the pool after he drowned that was then oh, wow, yeah. sinking to the bottom because he's a weighted dummy. And then the weird final destination setup you get for Barbie's death. They're all ridiculous. And I was hoping that they'd be revealed to be fake. For me, I never had that moment, Ryan, because spoiler alert, in the original, all the kills are fake. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. So I went into this being like, okay, these deaths are fake. What are they going to do with it? Same. But truly, the original isn't worth like going back to watch. It was better than this movie. Yeah. I'm sure you would have hacked it. I feel like it would have been so fun if they stepped back for a moment, uh, like after, after they've revealed that the kills are all fake and showed little clips of like behind the scenes setting everything up. Ooh, like, yeah painting charles gray like how much fun would that have been that's very saw that's some shit you'd see in saw (laughs) very true i would have enjoyed this movie more if they were like you know 
instead of being in his tanning bed, he's like laying down and like someone's painting him and he's like, this is going to turn orange. Okay. So let's take a few minutes to break down these horrible human beings that we have to suffer through because while they are insufferable, like these are people that I knew. I'm not saying they were my friends. My friends were all like nerds and geeks and stuff. And we were really cool uh, because of that. Um, so because, you know, nerdery is cool. It wasn't cool in 2003, but whatever, I don't care. But like the absolute attitudes that these people have, I mean, these people have horrible attitudes about the world and about each other. And then looking back, I realized like, was Milan a better human being than all of them? I mean, she did have that charity. (laughs) But kind of, maybe, I can't tell. I think they're all kind of trash. And it bothers me that when I watch them and I just, I'm like, oh, it's just so fake. I can go back and like think of people in the South that I knew that would like speak like they would and treat other human beings like they would. And it just bothers me. I agree with you about how much I didn't like these characters. And my, my actual problem is that I also didn't like the, like, I don't know, humble isn't the right word. I didn't like Ryan either, which is not necessarily, he's not them, right? He's supposed to be like the relief from the dramatic uppity elite society. But I, I didn't care about his character either. He was just annoying and, like weird? I don't know. I mean, not, I don't know. He wasn't weird. He just didn't do it for me. And everyone else sucked so much. I'll be honest. I got very much a, you know, cruel intentions vibe between Desiree and Blaine. And I actually like cruel intentions despite those characters being absolute evil garbage. I think because they were like layered and had some depth to them. Um, but these two really just felt like the most like dollar store knockoff of those two. Paris, to be fair, you're kind of inclined to like wear fly and rich and evil, you know, like that's kind of your your vibe. Yeah, that works for me a lot. A lot of the time. <laughs> I'm not mad about that sometimes, but this was just done so poorly. Desiree was really the only one that came close to doing it, but she she dropped the R word. She dropped the F word. I was like, Desiree, don't be this girl that existed in 2008 because I know she's real. This is, I got it. I figured it out. This is outlet mall rich. Ooh, yeah. That's what these these people are. This is the outlet mall version of rich people. We're like, yeah, you have a huge house, but it's decorated like an olive garden. But you filed bankruptcy last week? Yeah. (laughs) You know that like Tuscan vibe? Yes, I hate it. But I also, I wanted to point out that I feel like naming the character Milan was like a play on like the Paris Hilton of it all. And I I suspect that because as somebody whose name is Paris, the first thought joke many people make is like, oh, hey, London, hey, Milan. And I'm like, okay, hey, somebody I don't care for. But ultimately, like, I don't think there was a worse character or actress in this movie than Torrance. I literally wrote, God, she's bad. And then later, Torrance is truly awful. And Chris, you mentioned this actress's name, and I don't know her from anything. But I guess that's a good thing. Can I tell you where she's from? Please. She's from the fucking Rob Zombie edition of Halloween. And she was in Halloween too. Now, the thing is, she takes on the role of the iconic Laurie Strode. Oh, I bet you hate that. And she turns her into such an unlikable person. Yeah, her character here is truly miserable. Miserable from the very beginning in her... uh I don't know, attempts to be naive. And then throughout, as she, every time she talks, you're just like, you're fake. <laughs> but not in like a elite fake thing, just like a you're a bad actor <laughs> type of thing. And her whole thing was like being the actress. And I'm like, but you're the worst one. You can't even act like an actress. It's so true. When she was like, oh, I have to tell you the stuff about Ryan. Like, nobody cares. You sound stupid. 
I feel like she was playing a really cheap knockoff C-rated version of what she thinks Anna Paquin is like. Oh my God, that is true. As somebody who was once an extra in a movie behind Anna Paquin, I can absolutely substantiate that claim. I think I have a good analogy for this, okay? So most of the people here know of Publix, the, you know, the grocery store, popular in the South, right? And so it's like, I'm fancy because I shop at Publix. I have enough money to shop there. You can keep shopping at Foodline and Walmart, but I'm going to go to Publix. And then a, like Whole Foods shows up or something similar, and they're like, oh, I, I can't afford that. <laughs> That's these people. They're like Publix rich. What they don't realize is it's not really that rich. Hey, we're Publix rich. Yeah, that's <laughs> us. We just don't act like assholes. We too can be Publix rich. Right. In reality, they're Piggly Wiggly rich, but they just think they're Publix rich. Truly, the best part is where Blaine calls up the police station and is like, hi, this is Blaine Cartier. I need to report a murder. And they're like, Blaine Cartier? As if anyone knows who you are and what your name is. The Blaine Cartier. The <laughs> You mean the Kennedys of the Carolinas? Obviously. So the thing about Blaine is that he is trying so hard to seem like he doesn't care about anything that it comes across so poorly. Like, it looks like he's trying to look bad at trying to not try or something, right? Like, he's like, I'm going to play the character as if as if he wants to look bad at, at, at not caring. I'm not going to try to play him as if he doesn't care. I'm going to try to make it seem like he's trying to look bad at not caring. And I know it's really convoluted, but it like it looks almost deliberate how bad it is. All he had to do was not care on screen. Oh, that's that's fine. Whatever, whatever. They're, you know, that's cool. Instead, he was like, yeah, I don't care because I'm a cool guy and cool guys don't <laughs> care. They smoke whatever cigarette brand he smokes or whatever. Yeah. And the, the thing about Blaine, apart from that funny moment, Ryan, that you're describing, the thing that infuriates me and one of the other elements that I hated about the ending is just who we find his character to be. This is an undoubtedly one of the worst parts of the movie, but it also inspires what I think is the best part of the movie. But you get this point where after the end of it all, he's just another guy who's super rich, does whatever he wants to any woman. And we'll get away with it. And it's infuriating. There's zero consequence. He literally inherits his entire trust. And his sister is dead by his doing. You know he has to orchestrate it, uh, given his smirk at the end of the movie. And it's infuriating. But I will say, though, that the best part of the movie for me is the glimpse of potential we get at who Desiree could have been, given the reflection and the regret of the year as she carried that guilt on i love that you mentioned that chris because i found it so disappointing that somehow blaine comes out on top as if he was like somehow smarter than desiree because the two of them side by side i'm fairly certain desiree was the smarter one Mm -hmm. specifically for the reasons you mentioned she grew and she learned she developed as a human over the years um when the freaking the whole prank that she pulled on milan was just rape uh and also filming it and releasing it which was the intention um she reflected on those things and said yeah that was really shitty and i felt bad about it ever since whereas blaine was like yeah whatever about that i'm gonna actually plot your murder and then get the inheritance back because that's how little i've grown yeah it was really trash the best part of this movie would have been 
explain getting hit by a truck at the end of this. Ooh. Oh, man. Oh. Honestly, you guys are so right about this. I mean, the best part for me was watching him get shot in the stomach. <laughs> and it wasn't even real. Yeah. That was the best part of the movie was like, finally, I was imagining that perhaps he was actually getting shot. And like the both of them were going to get taken out at the end of the movie. And that was going to be kind of cool. But no, he, of course, had to survive because he was like, oh, you have intelligence. I will deploy rich white male in America. <laughs> and he yep. used his, you know, his final form. Um, so that, yeah, shot to the gut was actually really satisfying, although it was ultimately fake. Mm, shot to the whole damn plot really is what it was. It was also just like upsetting that they implied so heavily that he was the hot one because it reminded me of a time when like everybody thought that we wanted our men to look like ski slope nose, like twink little elf boys, which is something I was never into. I was always like, you know, I like a man with a big, strong nose. And then finally that came back into vogue. But if I had to pick a best part of this movie, I guess it's the opening scene because I had a lot of hope. You know, we start off with that very first shot of the chef, like pretending to cut off their finger. And I was like, Ooh, hi Jinx, here we go. And then like Desiree enters with like her look and like a slit up to the thigh. But it was really all just downhill from there. Would it have been better if she were named Muffy? Ew, no. Nothing is better with a woman named Muffy. <laughs> no, you need a Muffy and a Duffy. <laughs> or a Buffy? Or a Buffy. I did like how many times they managed to say, April Fool's Day, bitch. Of course you did. <laughs> Paris, you bringing up that beginning scene uh, with the chef like fake cutting his finger off reminds me of something that I cannot believe we've gotten this far without me saying. And that is that... This movie feels so racist. Granted, it's got a lot of other things going against it. But like, God forbid they have a person with anything other than the whitest skin in any uh, role in this movie that matters at all, that they respect at all. They, they didn't even try to say, Hey, we're being, uh, we're, we're inclusive. We, you know, we love, we love people. That's 2008. Okay. So maybe I'm a little bit dramatic. They're, are some people of color in this movie, but it is, I don't know. It's just like the way everything is done. They're like really blatant about some of the other offensive things and, you know, throwing around F words and homophobic remarks and stuff like that. But the, the like underlying racism is there and it's palpable for me anyway. Mm, ever pervasive. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the things that we talked about in that. And if you're listening, it is free available to anyone on our Patreon. It's that, uh, a bonus episode we had uh, talking about horror noir history of black horror and it talks about black representation as it has evolved. And it, at some points it's just being in the background. Right. And that does not equal representation. Yep. Exactly. That quiet 2008 racism. Yeah. And, and that's not even the biggest reason why I'll never watch this movie again. What, what is it? Uh, it, it's the whole movie. There's nothing that would ever make me want to watch this, <laughs> truly, ever. Although, I could look at Desiree a little bit, but aside from that, no thank you. I could not see myself watching this ever again. I, I mean, even if I had something to do and I just needed noise in the background to forget whatever mundane task I was doing, I would rather just listen to, like, cats screeching, maybe, just so it would be a little bit more entertaining because, like Paris mentioned, it was so flat. And, you know, I just need a little bit of spice. That's This movie was mayonnaise. It was seriously like the most bland mayonnaise you could get on a hot Carolina day. And that's, for these people, that was too spicy in the film. But for this person, I need a little bit of flavor in my life. Honestly, Mac, I feel like the mayonnaise had chunks in a way that wasn't necessary or welcome. 
but do you know what I mean? <laughs> Chunky mayonnaise. Does that track? Because, <laughs> yeah, it was flat and it was blah, but also it, like, I don't know, created obstacles that meant nothing. Hence the chunks. Um, yeah, definitely never going to watch this again. There's not even a part of this that I would, like, look up on YouTube to see again. Actually, you know what? I might watch Milan take a tumble again. But that's it. I swear. Does Milan's tumble uh, rank on a possibilities as some of your favorite deaths of the year? No, 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 no. It's it's really just like throwing this movie a bone. Okay, gotcha. I, I will not look up Milan's death on YouTube, but what I will look up at some point, because I will be, I'll never watch this movie, nor will I ever pay to watch this movie. I want to listen to the music again, only because I know that it is like a rearrangement and it is based on the music from the original film. That is it. And even then, the music was fucking weird in some spots. There, I said it. Yep. It's very on brand for you, though, nonetheless. I think if I could watch it again, if I had to, I would pick only the opening scene. We get to the part where, you know, Milan tumbles over and she's dead. And then we get, we, we get some, do some editing, right? Where they're in court and then like a gavel strikes and then that's what all we see. They just, that would be the movie I want to see is where like they cause this thing and then we just infer that they're going to jail. And that would be, that would be all I would need. That would be the movie I think would be better. If only life were that way. This movie needed a Cruel Intentions ending where Desiree planned to be shot in the head to fuck over everybody else in her death. Yeah, she like left a note in the room. I figured it out. You think you got me. Yeah. This was my master plan all along. Welcome to your tape. It's sad when we all rally behind Desiree, who is truly an awful bitch. Terrible human. Uh, but yet, among some of the better ones, this this movie doesn't have much going for it. Behind every bad movie is a team of humans who put in varying amounts of effort to make it. And I am sure that there is so much, maybe, to uncover in Max Factor Fiction. No, I didn't even put any salt and pepper in this mayonnaise. It's pretty bland as well. So let's let's dive right in. Scout Taylor Compton, playing Torrance, stated the filmmakers originally wanted to make this film, you know, a rated R film, and described this this movie as being like Mean Girls crossed with horror. Fact. That feels like fiction that Mac made up. I don't know. Well, this is a fact, and the only thing I can think of is that 2008 must have had the best kind of weed. (laughs) (laughs) Plot twist, it didn't. (laughs) Number two. Taylor Cole delivered such an insanely powerful performance as Desiree, that was sarcasm, that it's hard to believe this movie is only three years into her credited acting career. Uh, Fiction for the hard to believe part. (laughs) I'm going to say fiction because I actually do find that hard to believe. Desiree, while being awful, felt like a seasoned actress. Well, not much season going on there because it was only three years. Now, to be fair, that was the beginning of the career and it's still going on now. So we have to check up on Taylor Cole and see how things are going. So is that technically a fact or a fiction? Oh, that was a fact. But the hard to believe part was well, a Well, the hard to believe was just a way to try to trick you. Okay. That's all. It was sarcasm. <laughs> As always. Sarcasm's never fact or fiction. It just simply exists. We're all losers here. And that's going to lead us to number three. So this movie is so chock full of symbolism that even the female leads wear colors coded to their personalities. Um, fact? Maybe? Yeah, I could see that being a thing. A fact. A relevant fact, maybe? <laughs> <laughs> well... 
this is fiction. April Fools, this is a fact. Okay, so Desiree <laughs> wears red. The girl knows what she wants, and she's saying, you know, she's not afraid to cut throats to get it. Barbie wears pink because of, you know, femininity and sexuality and all that kind of stuff. Also, Barbie. Thank you. And Torrance wears white to start out for her youthful purity, but switches to black when she engages badass mode. And then Milan is just in sky blue because she goes flying. <laughs> wow. <laughs> well, that's all I have for fact or fiction. Can I just, can I follow up and say that I feel like we're all April Fools for having watched this movie? The joke's on us. Absolutely. Well, yes, the joke is on us. In fact, Paris, and with that, the 2008 version of April Fools has earned a universal hack. We've certainly had a bevy of terrible things to say about this movie, but that doesn't mean we don't want to hear what you think about it, too. Uh, Maybe you're someone who likes this movie. Maybe you agree with us. Please share those opinions. Keep in mind there are a number of ways you can reach out to us, starting with our website, hackerslash.com, or you can also stalk our social media accounts over on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you've ever done a really cool April Fool's joke, make sure to reach out to our Hackerslash hotline. You can leave us a voicemail at 757-606-0128 or visit hackerslash.com slash contact to send us an audio message. Or if you were part of an April Fool's Day prank that left you with lifelong regret, you can send us an email to feedback at hackerslash.com. Hey, have you enjoyed listening to this episode? Consider becoming one of our patrons like Kyle. You can visit patreon.com forward slash hackerslash to earn cool perks for as low as $1 a month. We'll see you next time, folks, and remember, gossip is a poison for which there is no antidote. Bye.